Welcome to episode 151 of the Steptoe Cyberlaw Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thank you for joining us. This is Alan Cohn, and we are lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government. Uh, in this episode, a tale of RSA. I go to RSA and get overwhelmed by the sheer numbers of people and vendors. Stuart Baker goes to RSA and interviews the people that everyone at RSA is hoping to sell to, Chief Information Security Officers, or CISOs. In particular, John Four Flynn of Uber, Heather Adkins of Google, and Trolls Orting of Barclays Bank. In our interview session, Stuart asked the CISOs what trends at RSA give them hope for the future, which make them weep, what's truly new in cybersecurity, and what kind of help they would like from government. While Stuart is traveling, I seize control of the news roundup. I'm also joined by Maury Schenk, former managing partner of Steptoe's London office and now advisor to Steptoe on European technology and cybersecurity issues, as well as a private equity investor and director of technology companies. Thanks, Maury, for joining. Glad to be here. And I'm Alan Cohn, formerly the Assistant Secretary for Strategy at DHS and now of counsel at Steptoe. So let's get started. Uh, at RSA, there were some pretty interesting public statements from some of the keynote speakers. Uh, so Brad Smith uh, from Microsoft calls for a Cyber Geneva Convention. Uh, Maury, what did you think about that? Well, it, I thought it was an impressive suggestion and from an influential private source. You, you know, he called for the Cyber Geneva Convention was about basically asking governments to commit not to attack civil infrastructure. And he had a companion suggestion that private tech companies should commit to play only defense, not to go on the cyber offensive, which Stewart, who's one of the leading proposers, leading advocates of hack back, might not like very much. But I thought both proposals were uh, generally positive contributions to trying to reduce the escalating um, level of conflict online. Yeah, it's a good thing that we're doing the news update this week instead. Um, yeah, it was interesting, you know, uh, Brad Smith, in addition to kind of uh, calling for those two things, he makes the statement that just as the Red Cross is the neutral entity under the Fourth Geneva Convention, that so too the tech sector should be kind of the neutral digital Switzerland that assists customers everywhere and retains the world's trust. That's kind of a lofty position for the tech sector. Yeah, and the the tech sector is not a unitary entity, although I guess Switzerland has its cantons. Uh, maybe somebody needs to suggest that there would be an entity, an international organization or something to deal with this, although... Uh, we don't want it to become a new regulator. Who knows? Maybe something like that is needed. Yeah, it's interesting. Brad Smith calls for a, a kind of a new technocratic agency to administer a convention like that. Um, but of the tech sector, he really points to, obviously, Microsoft, but also uh, activity by Amazon and Google and Facebook uh, to lead in this area. Uh, which may not necessarily be the, the tech industry players that, for example, the Europeans might look at as the, um, uh, as the, the pinnacles of neutrality uh, in the world. Yeah, I probably wanted to avoid a regulator. And in a, and in a little bit, you know, we'll, we'll come on to the EU proposing to regulate robots and the problems with regulators. <laughs> well, before we get to robots, we'll talk a little bit about one of the other keynote speakers at RSA, uh, Chairman Mike McCall. Uh, the Republican congressman from Texas who chairs the House Committee on Homeland Security uh, gave a speech at RSA as well, uh, where he announced or restated uh, his uh, opposition uh, to backdoors in encryption. Um, he made the explicit statement, creating backdoors into secure platforms would be a huge mistake. Uh, and by doing so, uh, McCall lines up with senators on the Intelligence Committee, who have taken a similar stand along with former security officials such as Michael Chertoff, the former Secretary of Homeland Security and Senior Justice Department official, uh, and Michael Hayden, the former director of both the NSA and the CIA. However, he lines up on the other side of the current Justice Department leadership, including Attorney General Jeff Sessions and FBI Director Jim Comey. So it'll be very interesting to see what Chairman McCall 
from his perch in the house, uh, how he chooses to proceed uh, in light of what's likely to be an opposing position uh, from the Justice Department. So now let's talk about robots. The European uh, Parliament has decided that uh, robots and artificial intelligence are the next thing that uh, merits uh, uh, scrutiny by their uh, by their apparatus. What is what's the EU saying here? Well, I'm going to propose a new term today that I want to sell to the world. It's the EU hammer, and it comes from Maslow's hammer, which is the principle: if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, and in the EU, the only thing, the main task of the EU is regulation. And there's, a, there's an inclination to regulate everything, which is one of the things that led to the Brexit vote in the UK. And there are some other concerns about this. But on robots, they have adopted a broad resolution that calls upon the European Commission to consider various studies and regulation. And it starts with where... Whereas from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein's monster to the classical myth of Pygmalion through the golem to the robot of Carl Chapek who coined the word, we fantasized about intelligent machines and et cetera. And it continues in sort of a similar lofty vein, talking about ethical issues and the need for a regulator. Um, in some areas, it does things that may help industry, suggesting that we need to set liability for autonomous vehicles. But this is really the potential beginning of quite a broad study of regulation of, of uh, robots and artificial intelligence in the EU. Um, we'll see where it goes. My bet is that uh, the EU will be relatively regulatory, as they tend to be. Yeah, it was very interesting to the kind of the literary uh, references from which the uh, uh, from which the proposal departs. It was interesting to see a desire to um, uh, to legislate Asimov's laws uh, with respect to the design of uh, of robots. Yes, I think you know, and people who comment on the Asimov laws uh, who know about robots say you know it's an interesting principle. Uh, in reality, it's a lot more complicated than that. I think the risk is you try to impose such laws while the sector is developing. You you really restrict innovation. Um, but uh, it will be an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was interesting, though, that the EU rejected the um, the tax the robots proposal that Bill Gates and others have been championing. Yeah, well, that's... Um, you know, that's a private sector-led approach, and um, the European Parliament doesn't tend to trust the private sector, particularly the American private sector, as you noted when we were discussing Brad Smith's proposal that Microsoft and, and the other big U.S. tech companies lead the digital neutrality effort. Yeah, so perhaps we will see uh, the European Parliament uh, take the first step with uh, – with Maslow's robot hammer. The EU hammer. That's what I want people to talk about, the EU hammer. That's uh, uh, I'm selling it to the public. Feel free to use it. Well, I'd like I want it to be the EU robot hammer. So, the EU robot hammer. Okay, I'll, I'm willing to go with that. There you go. Uh, all of our listeners should hashtag that on their favorite social media platform. All right. So, now uh, our next edition, our weekly edition of Turmoil in the White House. Um, it is out like Flynn and in with McMaster, and what's the impact on cybersecurity? So, um, as our listeners most likely know, uh, retired Lieutenant General Mike Flynn resigned last Monday, um, ostensibly over his misleading of the vice president over discussions that he had held with the Russian ambassador prior uh, to the inauguration. Uh, and yesterday, uh, the president named active duty Army Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster, who's another warrior scholar along the lines of David Petraeus and Jim Mattis, as the new national security advisor. Uh, while the general opinion is that this was a tremendous upgrade, uh, I channel Stewart here to say probably over the last few national security advisors, uh, the question of what this means for cyber hasn't really been explored. Uh, McMaster authored a report on Russian tactics in Ukraine in 2014, including Russian use of offensive cyber operations and information warfare. Uh, and he's reportedly a Russia hawk along the lines of Defense Secretary Mattis 
and others. Uh, in a 2014 interview, McMaster said that he thought that cyber terrorism and cyber espionage were significant threats uh, and that the cyber domain was a contested space every day. Uh, he stressed the need for resilient command control and communication systems and for disrupting enemy capabilities in the context of military operations. Uh, it will also be interesting to see McMaster's, uh, McMaster has a strong belief in the national security decision-making process, uh, and that should give Homeland Security Advisor Tom Bossert uh, a bigger voice in cybersecurity dis- decision-making. Uh, and many of us see his hand, along with those of cyber experts in the executive branch agencies, in the revised draft executive order on cyber uh, that was circulating last week and that we discussed previously on the podcast. Uh, So stay tuned further uh, developments to be seen in this area. Uh, And also relating to the White House staff, uh, staff uh, in the executive office of the president and elsewhere are reportedly using encrypted messaging apps to communicate. Um, The app that has been pointed at is is an app called Confide. Uh, which is an encrypted messaging app that includes disappearing messages and anti-screenshot protection. Uh, and it's speculated that um, that either this app or similar apps uh, are being used uh, to transmit information outside of the executive branch, perhaps to the press or others um, in, a, in, the envi- in the uncertain environment uh, that we find ourselves in now. Uh, Confide app launched in 2013 as a secure app for executives. Um, however, the features of uh, disappearing messages and anti-screenshot protection also make it appealing for anyone who wants the benefits of end-to-end encryption combined with that ephemeral nature of the message. And it's rumored that uh, actually Malcolm Turnbull, the Prime Minister of Australia, has also mentioned uh, that he uses Confide. Uh, as well as other secure messaging apps. Now, it's interesting, almost as soon as this news became public, comparisons to other uh, uh, encrypted messaging apps, uh, particularly Signal, uh, emerged, pointing out that Confide's encryption was closed source and proprietary, uh, and it means to perhaps undermine it and perhaps uh, uh, take some of the um, the public relations benefit of being mentioned in these kinds of uh, these kinds of releases and and uh, and hitch onto them. Uh, it's also been reported that EPA workers are uh, using Signal to communicate with one another, and there seems to be a race towards uh, the use of encrypting encrypted messaging technology across the administration. Uh, this raises interesting Presidential Records Act and Federal Records Act questions which perhaps will wait for Stewart to, to return in order to discuss more broadly. So back to Europe and this question of who else are the Russians hacking? Uh, Maury, there is some, uh, some discussion this week of, of potentially uh, hacking of the French elections. Yeah, the French president, uh, Francois Hollande, suggested that his government would take measures to prevent uh, election hacking, and the implication was that it was the Russians behind it, as is suspected for the recent U.S. election. Although Alon did not mention the Russians, uh, the Russians objected strongly. Yeah, I think the bottom line is it's clear people can mess with elections, uh, and it's not just specific hacking. It's not necessarily tamping, tampering with votes, although that's a fear too. But just. Uh, you know, people pay attention to news reports. I, I thought it was interesting. There's uh, Nick Bilton, who writes in Vanity Fair, came out a few weeks ago and basically said, you ain't seen nothing yet. You know, the video technologies will allow video clips to be circulated, which um, don't have to be true at yeah. all. And, you know, it, it may start to be very difficult for people to know uh, what's being, you know, what's really happening uh, in uh, in What's really being said by election candidates? Yeah, that ability to transpose faces and voices and statements uh, in video clips, uh, making it appear that individuals are saying things that they're not actually saying is is pretty frightening, uh, especially because as people have become more concerned about fake news, we've often used uh, video uh, clips as kind of the evidence that we look to to say, no, this actually happened. Yep. Although I, I recently went to a debate here um, which reenacted the Putney debates, which were uh, an important set of debates in the Glorious Revolution um, here in England 350 years ago. 
And there was an American commentator who pointed out that in an early uh, U.S. election, I think the election of 1800, one of the candidates um, got it out that, and I should know which president this is, but I don't. It, it might have been Jackson, but got it out that his opponent had died, uh, which was not true. Um, and so, um, you know, that sort of seems more significant than the stuff we've had recently. Um, so this is nothing new, but we've got some exciting things ahead. Uh, yeah, most certainly. All right, a couple of last quick hits. Uh, our friends at CrowdStrike have uh, brought suit against NSS Labs. Uh, CrowdStrike, obviously, a cybersecurity firm, uh, filed suit on February 10th against uh, security product testing firm NSS Labs, uh, seeking to restrain NSN, NSS from publishing CrowdStrike comparative test results. Uh, that injunction was denied on February 13th, and NSS went ahead and published the results on February 14th. Uh, the backstory: CrowdStrike had originally commissioned NSS to conduct a private test of its products, uh, but was allegedly dissatisfied with NSS's testing methods. Uh, CrowdStrike then declined to take part in a subsequent public test and tried to prohibit NSS from using its software. Uh, CrowdStrike alleged that uh, NSS colluded with a reseller and engaged in a sham transaction uh, in order to get access to CrowdStrike software for the test. Uh, NSS ended up rating uh, other competitors like Silence uh, and Sentinel-1 and Invincia uh, much higher than CrowdStrike, although NSS noted that CrowdStrike's results may have placed higher if they had fully participated in the test. Um, Senator John McCain of Arizona, from his perch atop the Senate Armed Services Committee, uh, has gone ahead and set up a standing cybersecurity com- subcommittee uh, of the Senate Armed Services Committee. Uh, that'll be chaired by Senator Mike Rounds of South Dakota, uh, with Senator Bill Nelson from Florida as the ranking member. Uh, not names that you typically associate with cybersecurity at first blush, uh, but both have made some uh, some statements in the past and at least supported pieces of legislation uh, on cyber that have come through the chamber. Uh, it's possible that the cybersecurity subcommittee uh, could investigate Russian hacking, uh, but it'll likely look at other issues surrounding military cybersecurity doctrine uh, and the U.S. response following a cybersecurity a cyber attack, including this question of whether that response should be civilian uh, or military-led, which is an interesting question and one that we'll have to see uh, how the subcommittee and others uh, address it. Uh, And then finally, Yahoo uh, gets a particularly expensive haircut, um, channeling Stewart. That'd be like almost as expensive as a Bill Clinton haircut. Um, The rumors last week were that Verizon had negotiated a $250 million price reduction in its uh, in its acquisition uh, of uh, most of the assets of uh, of Yahoo uh, or as high as 300 million. Uh, Today, Verizon announced a revised purchase price of four point four eight billion dollars, which reflects a three hundred and fifty million dollar haircut. Uh, this may help start pricing, actually, the reputational and deal cost of a major breach like those suffered in 2013 and 2014. And it's hard not to see it in that kind of symbolic way, uh, because I think as it's been pointed out, uh, Verizon makes $250 million in revenue every 15 minutes. So with that... Let's turn uh, to Stuart's interviews with John Four Flynn of, U- of Uber, Heather Adkins of Google, and Trolls Ording of Barclays Bank. Okay, we are here at the RSA conference, uh, and I'm taking advantage of the fact that we're here to talk security with a bunch of chief information security officers uh, uh, who are in theory, the buyers of all the products that have made the uh, RSA conference uh, possible. Uh, And uh, the three that uh, I'll be talking to are uh, John Four Flynn, uh, who's the CISO at Uber. Uh, uh, John, there's a story behind the four, right? Uh, Yes, there is. uh, Okay. You don't have to tell it. Um, (laughs) And Heather Adkins, uh, uh, whom I've worked with many times, uh, manager of information security at Google and a founding member of Google's security team. Um, Welcome, Heather. 
Thank you. Welcome. I'm happy to be here. And Trolls Erting, who is familiar to our uh, audience because you were good enough, Trolls, to uh, do a uh, uh, interview with me by phone uh, when you were the head of EC3, the Electronic Crimes Computer Crime Center. Uh, and uh, as a reward for that, uh, you've gotten to become uh, the uh, uh, head of security, uh, cybersecurity at Barclays Bank. Yeah, that's true. Thank you very much for inviting me. Great. So let's jump right into it, and, and, and uh, I'm going to have just a few questions. Uh, um, every year, there's kind of a, a theme at, uh, at RSA, and there's a set of new technologies that are rolled out, and, and I guess I would ask each of you, um, what actually impressed you about uh, uh, some new technology, new company, new uh, uh, way of looking at the cybersecurity world that came across for the first time this year, either at RSA or, or recently. So, uh, um, Or, you want to jump in? Yeah, sure. I'll start. So uh, one of the things I'm, I'm really excited about uh, is this new trend towards deception uh, as, a, as, a, as a theme. So honey nets and honey pots. Yeah. And so those of us that have been doing this for quite a while remember the first sort of iteration of these things back in the 90s, honey mm -hmm. pots and yep. so on. And I think what happened there was a lot of people deployed these things, and we found that there wasn't really much reason why attackers would ever go come across them. Right. They were just kind of sitting on their own in your network, and you were sort of hoping for the an attacker to opportunistically find them. And what I found by this new generation of deception technologies is that the approach is much different. So in security, one of the big problems you have as a de defender is what, what's known as the asymmetric uh, challenge, mm -hmm. right? Where uh, an attacker only has to find one way in, whereas a defender has to watch everything. Exactly. And so what I'm excited about is this new, new phase of deception technologies are one way you can turn that around on your attacker by controlling your environment whereby if you take things like uh, uh, controlling your endpoints and your host by mm -hmm. pushing configuration and, and, and uh, you know, what, what some people call breadcrumbs out to your endpoints, uh, it causes your attackers to basically not be clear when they're doing the lateral movement phase of the kill chain uh, as to which direction to go in your environment and which set of... Uh, potential targets is a real versus a fake asset. And is, is the basic idea that the, as soon as they touch a fake asset, you know? Exactly. There's, there's no reason for anybody to be touching that right. asset if they aren't a bad guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, one approach to de detection technology is to build a, a bunch of rules and, and uh, based on what you think attackers are doing, right. getting a bunch of threat intelligence to, to track what attackers' behavior has been at other companies. And another, another part of the toolbox is looking for ways to cause the attacker to trip your alarm. Well, that's very cool. And, and you can see how information sharing across an industry would allow you to say they're looking for this. Make sure that you've got honey assets that look like that because if they're in your network, they will come to, yeah. to the honey So uh, that's another idea is this notion of higher level threat intelligence. Rather than sharing an IP address or a right. domain name, maybe sharing more higher level behavior patterns so that you can actually... Uh, alter your environment to be able to, to, to trip them up. Okay, Heather? Yeah, so I mean, RSA is always an interesting time of the year for me because we see so many vendors. Um, <laughs> uh, I think it was last year we went from not one expo floor to, but to two expo floors. It's actually really difficult to see them all these days. So you go to visit all of them? Yeah, or? I do walk the aisles um, on, on both floors. Not that I remember everything that I've right. seen. I think this year, um, the things that has impressed me the most is how far we've come in machine learning. And we've been trying to apply machine learning in the security industry for a really long time. Mm -hmm. It's quite difficult because, of course, there's not a lot of training data um, right. for the machines to learn what real attack data looks like. Often uh, just curious employees look a lot like attackers. It's hard to sort out the noise from the results. But I think that we're getting uh, closer on the behavioral side to applying it in really specific situations. Um, like, for example, I think one of the ways that we're going to go is that um, we'll get to the point that when you pick up your phone, your phone will know it's you. Right. Right. And we can almost use it as an authorization mechanism. Right. And so even if I've unlocked my phone and I hand it to my spouse, the phone will know it's not me anymore. Right. And give like him a different set of options. And so the other thing I've been impressed with is that we're starting to miniaturize the machine learning models. 
um, to the point where we can put them on smaller devices. You can run machine learning on a phone? Yeah, where it's really targeted right, right. for very specific uses, such as sort of identifying the phone. But there are a couple of companies that I saw this year who are doing these behavioral analytics and who are starting to think about it, whether it be feature extraction from malware um, or for authentication things, sort of figuring that out. And I think ultimately, these kinds of technologies will benefit users because it'll be much easier to interact with and much mm -hmm. easier to understand. Well, very cool. Very cool, Charles. Well, I haven't been walking the floor so much this year. I did it last year, but I had a team instead trying to prepare what I should see. Um, also because it's everybody is here, so that's very convenient, so you can meet everybody. Yeah. And um, what I saw is, is, is exactly what you say about deception, that we can actually spin up a whole bank next to my bank, and I can see if anybody is, is approaching that, and I think that is a very good technology. Another one I was impressed with was the ability to actually watch internet, web browsers, and mails without touching it. Mm -hmm. You have a layer between, so 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 you never really reach anything anything on your estate. And then I'm very um, I'm very concerned about the insider threat uh, in general terms. We have 142,000 employees and loads of contractors, and and the controls. You know, the balance between being a bank is almost a software company these days, right? right. So we we try to innovate and be an open and and very very dynamic organization on one side. We invite 50 million customers inside our network. On the other side, we need to be very, very sure that we don't lose anything. Right. So, so that's to strike the right balance. And I've had, you know, considerations of very draconian measures against my my uh, employees to uh, to allow them to, to ban them from looking at the internet, to send mails with attachment, whatever. But I've actually seen a number of tools. Uh, in, in this conference that enables me to do a lot of monitoring but without closing any gaps and automatic reaction. And I think that's the balance that we need to strike so that we still can be innovative but we can still maintain the information because I'm really concerned about somebody who either steals my information or wipe my estate from the inside. Yes. And do you, do you have responsibility as CISO for some of the Compliance responsibilities, the the you know the anti-insider trading stuff, because a lot of the um, things that you're supposed to be looking at are also going to be potentially relevant for um, misbehavior on the part of uh, uh, employees from a regulatory point of view. Yeah, my my role has changed a bit, so I'm, I'm no longer the C. So we we have uh, we've decided to remove cyber and information in front of security. So right. I'm now chief security officer. So I'm responsible for cyber security, physical security, group intelligence, group investigation, oh, group in okay. uh, resilience. So I have the whole package, you know, security front to back, and that gives me the ability to also because I think that the adversaries. They don't, you know, cyber is a tool to yeah. get something, right. information, money, whatever you want. But it, they could do it in many ways, also from the inside. And, and if I go to the dark net, I can find advertisements on people who are searching for Barclays insiders on yeah. the dark net. Right? Yes, of course. So I'm, of course, concerned about that and also by rogue uh, employees and whatever. So I think it's, it's, it's a balance. So everything counts for me to get all these information. And exactly what you say, we, we, we pool them in a huge data lake. And then we tried to implement machine learning, artificial intelligence, to find something that we couldn't see with a human brain out of all these states. But now I have access to everything. Now I just need to find, you know, the red dots and, and, and connect them. Yeah. Okay. So now let's 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 ask about the uh, that's the good. Let's ask about the bad. Uh, uh, is there something that? you're seeing in this area or maybe not seeing in this area that's particularly disappointing or appalling? So, Heather, I'll start with you. Um, I think the one thing I really love about the industry is that we have lots of ideas and people get VC money and they're able to start a company. And I love this idea of experimentation and prototyping, right? right? And I really see that in the field. I think a lot of these solutions only fly, however, when you build them right into the platform so that users get them when they buy the computer. Mm -hmm. um, I always make um, the security industry analogy to the car. Like when you buy your car, you don't go to the seatbelt manufacturer and then install it yourself, or the airbags, or the roll bars. It's built inside, and the fact that those come from different places is completely transparent to you. And so I think one of the, the things that I'm 
most disappointed about this year, maybe not disappointed, but um, expecting to come very soon, is for some of these really great ideas that are doing well, for them to just automatically get built into the platform, whether that's a phone you buy or a cloud platform or a laptop or whatnot. So that that argues for sort of um, what we saw with Microsoft uh, Mm -hmm. in the 90s, right? That everything collapses into the operating system in the Mm -hmm. long haul, Mm -hmm. which sort of discourages people from innovating because they think, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll make money for five years and then I'll, I'll be collapsed until the end. I, w- I would disagree with that because if the innovation hasn't produced results, then you'll have new innovators in the space. Right. Right. Which is why it's still not a solved problem for us. Yeah. Charles, and disappointments? Well, I think there is more out there that I've seen, so it's a question of my own disappointment that I haven't had enough time to mm-hmm. to, to see all the innovation, which is one thing. There is a tendency to this is a bit of game of clones, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of overlap. So right. it's, they're, they're very, very close in there. Right. Once the thing is hot, everybody yeah. has it, exactly. even if they don't. So you see this uh, a bit. And then I think, um, I think, but that's again pointing towards myself, is that I think that we as big customers needs to be more active in the innovation mm-hmm. because I, I think I know who will attack me not even who is attacking me but actually also in the future so I think we need to be even more involved in putting up the criteria. this is what I want you to help me innovate instead of waiting for people to show me something that I might right. use Right. so I think this is we, we've done that with, with, with Google we have a number of accelerators I think that we should do even more about that and uh, I think that there was potential here, but it's a disappointment for myself that I haven't taken up this a bit more structured, I would say. I, I can't help thinking that between Microsoft, Google, uh, Facebook, and the six largest banks, that's half the cybersecurity budget of the world, isn't it? Yeah, and that's, I, I think that, I think we'll, 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 we'll come towards that a bit. I think you will see that there is a change now that the majority of people who normally competed don't compete on catching crooks anymore. Mm-hmm. We, we, we share. So you will see that big right. companies have a cyber threat alliance. So Symantec and Intel and all the other ones that, that would never share their, their IOCs mm-hmm. in the old days, they do that now, and then they mm-hmm. compete on the product to remediate it. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, I, I would really like to, to, to join some, something together with Google, Facebook, and Microsoft, and then the six big banks, and then we could drive lots of things. If it works for us, it works for all other retail and everybody else, and that could be a new idea, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Four. So, what 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 would do you wish you were seeing that you aren't seeing? Yeah. One of the things I've noticed for uh, for some time now, and it's con- it continues to be apparent this year, is that the security industry continues to produce point solutions. Yes. Uh, and what you see is that a lot of these startups and these companies are spending a lot of their energy solving the same problems of getting reliable agents to run, building a console with pretty graphs, uh, and don't you, don't things you think like that. that. The VCs want that 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 they, they don't think you can make money consulting, so you have to have a product. Well, so it's not the fact that they have a product that's the issue; it's the fact that they're building products as point solutions rather than yeah. platforms that interoperate with each other. Mm-hmm. And so I, I fundamentally think that is what I like to, would like to see more of in the industry. And so some of the startups we've been working with recently are ones that are designed with APIs and, and designed to be built on top of yeah. and be designed to interoperate mm-hmm. with your other security systems. Mm-hmm. And those are the things, you know, I think all of us here represent engineering-driven security teams, yeah. which doesn't represent all of the industry. But I think together we can actually put Precise. that pressure back on, yeah. the, on the vendor space to yeah. produce APIs to build these things that's as platforms. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, that's great. Uh, it, it, it's sort of the same thing that produced the open source revolution at yeah. the end of that, or made it, made it work. Yeah. Which uh, works now, right? Yeah. yeah. I want yeah. everything in open source. Okay. So, um, is it, what other big challenges do you guys see for CISOs in the next three or four years? Uh, I'll throw out some ideas. Are we going to have secure DevOps? Is that going to turn out to be good for security? Uh, um, are people going to actually solve the, the the question of how to move all of this security technology to the cloud? Uh, but, but those are just ideas that you know I keep hearing about. Uh, uh, you're closer to what the, the real challenges are. So what? Uh, Google sold the cloud. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Let me start with that. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, I have a colleague at this table who observed the move to the cloud about six, seven years ago. Yeah. Um, I'll let him comment on that. But um, I think. 
while we not may not see everybody move to the cloud, I do think it is an opportunity for companies who've been around for a long time, who have a lot of legacy infrastructure and a lot of what they would call IT problems, the classic right. ones of shadow IT, poor asset management. Mm. Like this is an opportunity for them to just upscale the entire environment. Like they solve a lot of those problems. Cut it all out. It'll be really painful for three, four years. Um, whether you move to sort of Amazon, Microsoft, Google, we see some customers even doing both, mm-hmm. picking two out of the three uh, for redundancy. I think this is an incredible opportunity for them. Um, I also think the, that... Does their security equipment go with them? Have, have the, are the companies going to be able to say, oh, yeah, don't worry, your, uh, the stuff you're using for security will still function? I think they will make it a prerequisite for adoption. We will, at mm. least. Yes, yeah. the customers banks, will. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so I think we, we, we've seen this in the beginning when, when we were moving, we were moving to cloud, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe not with everything on our state, but the majority. And, and we will not just accept... Uh, one-size-fits-all security. We are bank. We have, uh, you know, the need for improved security, better controls, maybe key management on a mm-hmm. state, not mm-hmm. with you and, and whatever. And this will be prerequisite. So if you want our business, this is what we want. But I'm a heavy believer in that they can run this infrastructure much better and leaner and cheaper for mm-hmm. us than mm-hmm. we can. And we can automate more, but we'll still maintain the controls. The yeah. beauty of this is actually we've been building security solutions for enterprises. Yeah. And it will be the other way around. It's enterprises asking for security. Yes. And we have an, an opportunity to get it right for once. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I actually, I, I, my assumption, almost everything new in technology and IT is bad for security, but the cloud might be good for it. Could be. Yeah, could be. Yeah. You could never be. know. Let's see the first big breach. Yeah. And yeah. then there's side, you know, because the, the good thing is that I think the security is much, much better. The bad thing is if you're in, do you have access to more or less and how is the exactly. Exactly. lateral movements? That, that, that's, of course, what, what, what we are concerned about. But I think we can, again, we can build this out of that. Yeah. It's just uh, to, to have the right requirements. One of the things I see a lot of people making a mistake of is basically using their same business processes, their yeah. same engineering processes, yeah. and just trying to forklift those into the cloud right. rather than using, as Heather said, taking it as an opportunity to think about the problem differently. We recently put a blog post out about a serverless architecture that we've released uh, uh, and discussed publicly about how to actually leverage uh, serverless ar- architectures uh, to solve security problems. Oh, neat. And so, you know, you don't actually just need to take a Windows machine and run it in your cloud service. You can actually rethink how your services work along the way and actually reduce a lot of your attack surface as well. And the analogy is the same as the, in the old days where we have a paper-driven thing. Yeah. That if you just copy pasted that and put that on a computer, you, you didn't really gain anything. Exactly. So so what we're doing now is not copy paste our big data centers and put them in. Now it's rethinking the whole thing. Now that is a big opportunity, and that's also why I think you're right that it could be. A you know, they, they they did productivity studies on the electricity revolution, mm-hmm. and they discovered that in the first ten years of electrifying factories, it produced no productivity gains at all because people just moved electric motors to where they had the old systems. And it was only when they realized that they could use electricity to to take the power to any place and start reorganizing their production lines that they started getting productivity gains. So it's a very similar uh, thing. Well, okay, so let me uh, close up. Uh, And this is, you know, one of the things that the government is thinking about doing, at least I hope they're doing, thinking about is solving some of their problems the way Heather suggested is uh, uh, move to the cloud a abandon or transform all of those legacy systems uh, and uh, improve security at the same time, which, you know, uh, they have more legacy systems than uh, than anybody on the planet, I'm sure. Um, and we're at the start of a new administration. They're uh, obviously going to do a study of what they should be doing to improve cybersecurity. Uh, let me ask you, what what useful Thing could the government do that would help you uh, in your job? So I'll, uh, I'll start with trolls because uh, 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 you're close to the government, so you kind of have to be. Yeah, uh, I think that everybody knacks over regulation, uh, and there's too much, too little regulation. Um, I think we have, I have at least a very good rep, uh, relationship with the regulators, both in the in the UK and the US, and I think that they are very good in creating a minimum bar 
for what we where, where we should be. I think what we need first of all is the ability, and I and, and I I don't think it's so much on the government. Maybe it's to create the right rules, but my ability to exchange intelligence with my my colleague banks are very limited due to various privacy uh, privacy uh, mm. settings. So 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 I don't really have. So you have many. Um, channels that that exchange information that is outdated and thin, and you cannot use it, right? But but the real deep information is is, is difficult, and I think that is, is is key that 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 we we can do this a bit. Otherwise, it will be very very difficult to do anything. Then it will be a lot of bicycle thefts instead of that. Yeah. You can pull it and say, here you have an adversary that you need to do. So you're talking my language because I am I am notorious for saying that I think uh, the biggest enemy of security is privacy. That the privacy campaigners, you no, know, it's the at least at least something that we need. To, to consider, and I think we haven't found the right balance. So if you have full privacy, you have no security, and the other mm-hmm. way around. But I, I think we probably, after the various Snowden and whatever, you probably tipped it a bit to, to the privacy settings, which I'm not sure will be beneficial in the years to come. But but that's one thing. Then I think that what we've seen with the, the Mirai botnet is that the Internet of Things is potentially a threat to us because it multiplies the firepower of, of DDoS attacks immensely. And because the Chinese, and not just the Chinese, but everybody who produces these cheap uh, devices that connects, they hard code the uh, the password into the firmware, so mm-hmm. you cannot even secure it, right? right. And then it's, it's very easily utilized. And we see huge, huge DDoS attacks, which I thought would never come back now uh, against us, which we, uh, you know, we are permanent mitigation because we can pay with, uh, with, uh, with, with big um, DDoS providers. But just below us will be companies that will be wiped flat. It will not be Google and it yeah, will not no. be us, but it will be other ones that are critical and their business is critical. So do you, you think government needs to step in to do something about I that? I would simply uh, say if you want to sell these products in my country, you need to have an opportunity so at least we can secure the device yeah. instead of just allowing uh, that, that it can be sold without any security So features. DHS did produce a set of eight or ten principles that they thought that for security of IoT devices that I thought was you know a pretty good start. It was, it's not regulation because they don't have any authority to regulate, but it at least said if you wanted a regulation, you could start with the list they had there. And it was things like, you know, it needs to be upgradable uh, yeah. so that if you find a security flaw, right. uh, you, yeah. can, you can fix it. And I think if, if you do this in the U.S., and then you can agree this with, with the Europeans, mm-hmm. then you have at least a majority. Then the rest will probably follow if, if that's it. And I, I think I'm so naive that I think that even China and Russia don't see that this is beneficial for them to be hit by this. They can also be hit by, by the same leaders attacks that everybody oh, yeah. else yeah. can, right? So I think that this is where we could create norms at the Internet. Yeah. When I was a police officer, I could investigate rape and murder all over the globe. Right. Because we have we have rules for that. So in Russia and China, wherever, but cyber, I, I can't. We don't have any convention. We don't have any rules, and I need that. Otherwise, it's a risk-free crime. So I'm actually attacked every day from groups that are outside the reach of our law enforcement because they cannot cooperate. Yeah. That's not sustainable in the in the long run. No, it's not. I, I, I agree. All right, uh, Heather. Uh, uh, now. Silicon Valley is, you know, generally is of the view that there's not much the government can do. So is there anything the government could do that would actually make your job easier? I think the the question of what the government can do is really a question of what levers do they have. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that they have many on the technology front. Um, Unlike in, say, the 50s or 60s, where they were doing, say, all the space work, Right. right. They held all the levers. Right. right. They, they were now, writing all the checks. And um, and now we have private industry launching into space, which is exciting. And with the computing industry, it's exactly the opposite. But I, I think the lever they do hold is regulation and policy. And one of the complexities we are really struggling with, um, and especially CISOs today, is the complexity of data breach law. Right. In the United States, each state kind of has its own. Right. And then most of us who are multinational corporations are having to think mm. about GDPR. Yep, right. And well, like the Dutch already have their own breach law. Yes, absolutely. And then when we you know, move into South America and Africa and Asia, of course, it becomes even more complex. And so I think they do hold the lever in simplifying this for yeah. us. And that would make our lives much easier to plan for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so and, and as, our as technology. You're, as you're putting together your plan for, uh, you know, a disaster, uh, yeah. you don't have to say, you know, my plan is to have the phone numbers of lawyers in 47 states. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right, uh, four. Good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would, I would agree with a lot of what was said here. I mean, I think, I think, one way to generalize what Heather's saying is that I think the role of government is a, is a way to produce a lingua franca of, uh, around uh, some of these cybersecurity issues to create a common framework that mm-hmm. you can have a dialogue. Uh, and, and I think some of the work that we've seen out of NIST and others... So at least like, like the framework. Yeah, mm-hmm. try, tries to at least create a taxonomy that we can mm-hmm. have, uh, you know, across borders conversations about security. It also, the other thing is, I mean, the people at this table um, are all really forward-leaning, uh, you know, really modernized version, uh, ways of thinking about security. But I do think there's a lot of people that aren't represented at this table that actually struggle with how to start. We struggle with uh, what, what, what do we even need to get a program together, right? Right, and I think actually a lot of the work that's been done there is a good way to help those types of companies figure out the right steps. How do they think about risk management? How do they think about even getting started? Uh, and, and and you know we all do our part, of course, to open source and to share our best practices. But I do think there is a place to play there. Mm. The other, I would agree also with the the, the work you know you saw Schneier's testimony mm-hmm. recently about the the work on uh, DDoS and botnets, and I I feel pretty strongly that 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 problem isn't going to solve itself. Um, no. And so I think there is no. some intervention needed there. Yeah. I, I, the, the, the big problem in DDoS, at least inside the U.S., is um, you can find the attackers now. They don't even bother to, to no. spoof. Uh, uh, but who's going to tell grandma that her doorbell is attacking the Pentagon? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what is she supposed to do? Yeah. Right. Uh, and if, you know, I know what the ISPs are afraid of, is that at the end of the day, they're going to get the call and they're going to have a $50 yeah. Yeah. Uh, a call yeah. explaining to grandma what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they say, hey, we didn't install the doorbell, we didn't make it. Uh, we can uh, sync all these command and control facilities rather easy if law enforcement was enabled to do that, right? So so, so we can, and we, we, we have tried, not us, because I don't have the power anymore, but if we identified, we have a close cooperation with the UK police, and right. it's in their jurisdiction, or some they can work, they can. And again, I think that calls for international cooperation very, very fast. Mm-hmm. And you just think all it. I know it will not make the problem disappear, but it will make it more difficult. Mm-hmm. And they have to rebuild it again and again and again, and at some point they probably get tired of it. Or we find some state where they will operate from that we can point fingers at. And I think I think that is, is the way ahead. But instead of just saying it's 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 a big problem, what should we do? We can act. It's not rocket science. Everything we can do something. So I, my my impression is when the Iranians were DDoSing banks a few years ago, yep. uh, the U.S. government tried to do something about it, and they said, "But we can't go into some other country and and, and do anything about a, a, a doorbell in that country. Uh, we have to." demarche the government and say your doorbells are attacking our banks we'd appreciate it if you go and and tell grandma to stop it Um, and it was very very slow and diplomatic and didn't really solve the problem Uh, so I I, I'm not sure unless unless you can come up with a mechanism where sort of like uh, the uh, uh, the convention uh, uh, that uh, for computer crime that says Yes, we will respond within 24 hours if we get the request. Uh, otherwise, I don't see how you can get the kind of cooperation you need across borders. We, we, we have had cooperation with, when I was in law enforcement, with, with the, even the, in Russia. Yeah. So Kaspersky, he has actually, the, he's an ISP that has the potential to sinkhole. He has that right uh-huh. on the, uh, mm-hmm. for, for the government. So I could call him and say, we have all the court orders here. Can you, five minutes later... Wow. He's single and, and, and if he can do that, we can do that also in Italy or Malta or, or wherever that the command and control center, right? There, there might be collateral damage, but if we do it at government, we will then repay people if there is anything, right? Because we're the good guys, right? I hope. And, 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 but I think we just need to do something instead of just facing there is a problem and then do nothing. Yeah. It's so astonishing to the DDoS. I, I, if, if, if you had asked me 15 years ago whether DDoS would be a problem today... I would have said, said no. It will go away. I would completely yeah. on your side, but it has emerged, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, I always give our guests an opportunity to tell us something that they think our listeners should know about, uh, that they're going to be doing, speeches, uh, events, product releases, uh, uh, anything that uh, you want to talk about that people should be watching for in the future? I, w- I would offer one thing, which is that, you know, I, uh, at Uber, we're pretty uh, innovative, like the rest of the group here, and we, one of the things we'd like to do is to make the world a better place. 
Uh, and we've been starting to share increasingly a lot of the work that we've been doing through open source and through blog posts. And so I'd ask that everyone keeps an eye on our, our security blog because I think that we're starting, you know, we released a, a, an SSH uh, update open source that allows people to better manage certificate-based authentication in their environments, uh, for example, yeah. just last week. And we continue to do a lot of these. So over the course of the year and, and in the future. I was, a- I was asking myself why <clears throat> Uber was so into security. And then I realized that in five years, you're not going to have drivers. You're just going to have the cars. And then you, then completely you better have reliant on the infrastructure. On <laughs> I mean, our, mis- our mission is to become uh, like running water in every city in the world. Yeah. I can follow in, in the same way. I, I completely agree. I think that making the Internet safer and catching crooks is not a competitive differentiator. Yeah. We need all to, to chip into that. So we have in, enabled a cyber defense alliance with seven banks and the police. We share everything. And those who are not member of our cyber defense alliance will still get access to yeah. our information because I don't keep it. I'm very inclusive. We can compete on a lot of things, but not on security or not on making this a better place. So we will continue to do so, and we will do that with other ones. And, and I'm, I'm really I'm really intrigued to, to, to do more. And if we, we can do it, we'll have a look at your webpage and see if there's anything we can do together. Yeah, okay. I love that. And Heather, last word. I'm going to use my time to pitch uh, education. I'm really excited about the UK's new initiative yeah. to get cybersecurity training for school kids, school, yeah. which is amazing. Um, that's actually another lever that the government holds. Um, we only we need not only security professionals, uh, you know, for the next 20 to 50 years, but we also need to restructure education at the higher levels, MBA programs, so that business leaders really understand the problem as well when they go into the C-suite or to the boardroom. Um, so I would just pitch, you know, let's rethink education as well. Okay. So Charles Erting, uh, uh, for Flynn, Heather Atkins, thank you so much. This was a great uh, uh, discussion. Thanks, you. Right. Thank you. All right. Thank you to John for Flynn of Uber, Heather Atkins of Google, and Charles Erting of Barclays Bank, and, of course, to Stuart Baker and Maury Shank. Uh, as always, the Cyber Law Podcast is open to feedback. Send your questions, your suggestions for interview candidates or topics to cyberlawpodcast at steptoe.com. Alternately, we are always open to receiving good reviews on iTunes and on other podcast aggregators. This has been Episode 151 of the Steptoe Cyberlaw Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe & Johnson. Don't forget, if you suggest a guest interviewee and they join us on the show, We'll send you a highly coveted Steptoe Cyberlaw Podcast mug. Uh, we hope that you'll join us next week as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government. <laughs>